All right, welcome to a new episode of APIs You Won't Hate, first one of 2021. Uh, we are 24 hours away from what is hopefully going to be an inauguration. So if we sound a little bit happier, less, you know, down on everything, it's because we're hopeful. Um, I'm joined again, as always, with Mike and Phil, and we have a great topic today. We actually want to talk, uh, it's API related, but we're going to talk about how Parler just utterly fucked everything up. And expose all their user data and some lessons that we can take away from uh, all the all the uh, the bad practices that they were committing, and so that way we can help others learn how to secure and keep their data inside their own API ecosystems. Uh, so let's start, guys. How's it going? Uh, good New Year so far. Yeah, not a bad start. Not a bad start. I'm uh, back in the UK after bouncing around between the Netherlands and here a little bit, and. Uh, I'm, I'm expecting to get my test results through any moment now to let me know whether I can leave my self-isolation. So like, it could be during this podcast, I just go, fuck yeah, or like, oh, I've got COVID. We'll, we'll have to see how that, how that goes. <laughs> oh man, I, I wish I had something that exciting to, to follow up with. Uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm here in Charlotte still. It's a chilly little morning here, but uh, you know, I'm, I'm actually sitting through a pretty nice sunrise right now. So feeling pretty optimistic, uh, like Matt said, with inauguration coming tomorrow. Health is good. Everyone's good around here. We're, we're hanging in. Matt, how are you doing? I'm hanging out. It's I'm an hour behind you, so the sun is starting to peak up here in Nashville. Um, you know, we had a pretty eventful Christmas. Uh, some dude decided to attack the 5G towers um, downtown, so that was cool. But yeah, is that what I'm ready was? to get back to it. Yeah, um, apparently uh-huh. he had a thing with lizard people and 5G, and so he parked a bomb downtown and. That was right. what woke me up on Christmas morning. Well, obviously, lizard people exist, but that 5G stuff is just a conspiracy theory. That's ridiculous. I, you yeah, know, I, I'm, I'm still convinced that my mom is a lizard person, and I'm fine <laughs> with that. I'm totally fine with that, but 5G is just way too far. Yeah, that's nonsense. Um, it, it is. So, Parler. Uh, if you don't, that's if actually you, a pretty simple your... segue, isn't it? That's the... <laughs> <You're> funny how <laughs> that works. <laughs> That honest God, I don't think I'm going to get a better segue in any podcast I ever do. So we're gonna we're gonna frame that one. Uh, but Parler, if you haven't, if you've been keeping up with the news lately, you know that it was at one point the alt right's um, hangout to launch incendiary attacks, talk about violence, things like that. Uh, when it became time that they were going to start getting cut off through all the different services, Apple's App Store, Google's Play Store, AWS, all this kind of stuff. Um, people raced to start trying to figure out how they could collect their data. And once Twilio cut off their two-factor authentication, apparently the floodgates were open. Um, yeah. And then, of course, like the biggest lesson that I saw was actually something that I learned from you, Phil, um, probably like my early days of learning how to code, which is don't use auto-incrementing IDs in your URLs because yeah. – all you have to do is just create a for loop and just bang and bang and bang until you finally find the end of the API. Um, so I thought like, once I saw that, that's how they're doing their images. I just, I, I just had to have a good laugh about that. Yeah. I mean, there were, there were just so many glorious mistakes. Um, I mean, comically, like I'm sure a lot of us developers have sat around and thought like I could make, I could make Twitter, right? Like it's, it's, create new table tweets, create new table users, and then do some basic crud. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it, you could theoretically make a Twitter clone in uh, a, a Red Bull and pizza fueled weekend, but it's, 
a lot of work has actually gone into making that thing stable and secure, which is where most of the complications come in. So they just didn't um, do that. So there were a lot of problems uh, from kind of an API developer perspective. Um, one of them was they weren't stripping any of the metadata from images they upload. So all of that EXIF of like GPS location and coordinates and, you know, uh, to a lesser point, like camera type, all, all of that stuff was just available in those files. And those files were available um, in their original format. And I think you could get them from the API just by saying images slash one, two, three, four, five. So not just images, but all of the, um, I think everything, like all of the parlors were using um, auto-incrementing IDs. So it'd be like just going to like api.twitter.com slash tweets slash one, and then just putting in a for loop and downloading all of those. There also wasn't any rate limiting whatsoever. So if you try doing that with Twitter, they'll give you a 429 go away and come back later error that will you know tell you to chill out a little bit. But they just, the only limiting factor for um, downloading Parler's API was uh, your internet connection <laughs> and the server capacity. So yeah, there's just, there's a lot of there's a lot of problems. There's a lot more problems to talk about, but that that is exceptionally stupid. And a lot of API developers do it. We're so used to like when you make an app, you have a database, and that thing has an ID field, and you use auto incrementing IDs because that's just the given default that everyone does. You know, like when you think about what your database schema will be, you don't even think about IDs you, because the schema that you've started thinking about in your head already just assumes that there will be ID one, two, three in there. And you just start thinking, oh, should I call it name or title? And then, you know, create it, update and everything else. Um, so yeah, really cannot emphasize enough that that is not a good idea. Yeah, it ended up kind of being um, a, a feeling, you know, from our context of API design and of architecture design, of system design, of a lot of different things that um, usually you have a, a, well, ideally, I suppose you'd have a team of people working together to uh, check each other on these things. But it seems, uh, you know, maybe a little little brutish and overconfident, but also kind of slapdash and maybe just underinformed. Like, let's be perfectly honest here. I'm no expert in cybersecurity and, and designing these sorts of things. But uh, if I was going to build a giant network, I probably wouldn't just be, uh, you know, making a team of myself to, to build out something like this. And so... There's a lot of things that um, unfortunately led to some, well, unfortunately, fortunately, depending on how you look at it, obviously, but, um, you know, uh, allowed for some social engineering and for some uh, unfortunate um, malign behaviors from the perspective of the folks designing that system. I think that one of the things that's, that's worth uh, pointing out, too, is that these are all things that uh, you probably would have learned from kind of disparate sources, right? Like... Uh, non-incremental IDs is an important concept to understand, uh, but it's not obvious if you're just popping open MySQL for the first time and you see that nice auto increment field and it makes sense with the things you've learned in your software engineering course. Uh, and then there's things like um, fallback authentication, which is a complex idea in its, in its own and, and two-factor uh, authentication is somewhat new, you know, a new idea over maybe the past 10 years that... Um, requires a pretty decent understanding of what's going on to be able to implement securely to begin with, let alone understand the implement, uh, implications of when things go wrong, right? Like, um, yeah. 
you you really need to have a round understanding of the entire system to be able to build it well. It's not just a matter of of clicking Legos together and sending yourself off into the uh, atmosphere. Sure, I think the the assumption that a lot of people have um, of services like Twilio or Stripe or any of these major kind of API companies is they're always going to be there, and you just don't need to think about what's going to happen if they're not there. Like that's so that's some sort of incredibly rare event that will never really happen and if it does hopefully it's at midnight so I don't think about it kind of kind of mindset um and that kind of makes sense when you are rapidly scaling a prototype you know like just for the duration of you making that prototype and then you're going to rewrite it later hopefully stripe won't go down at that point <laughs> you know or that month uh but but it definitely happens and you have to think about those things so um yeah matt one of the things you mentioned was uh kind of the the twilio blocking them. And that was an interesting one because some people said that Twilio was just kind of auto approving everyone, but that's a, that's a oversimplification and not something that Twilio does. Um, when the service was, was blocked, what that really means is, um, you know, Parler then has to make a decision about like, okay, I can't talk to Twilio. What, what should I do? And, and the way they wrote their code was just, eh, don't worry about it, which is not the choice to make because, um, Basically, they had people signing up for brand new accounts using the email address of moderators <laughs> and then um, doing a forgot password. And when they tried to do 2FA, the response that Parler just, oh, whatever, Twilio's down, don't worry about it, just, just approve them. So now you have people with active moderator accounts who shouldn't have had them, right? Um, so that's all, a bit, that's all a bit odd because, I mean, you shouldn't be able to have multiple accounts for the same email address for a start. Uh, but yeah, what you want to do is something called degraded service or degraded functionality, which is, you know, microservices are super popular. A talks to B and C and D. What happens if, if A or B or C or D go down, right? Does everything crash or do you try and figure something out? And I think we talked about this in the past where at my previous job, there was this like, um, conference room booking service that was just down all the time because it was badly written. And when the conference booking, uh, conference room booking service went down, it meant that the entire kind of social network that we built for some reason also would go down and, and other services that relied on kind of the API for that social network, they would also go down. So this one dodgy system falling over would just take out half the company. And what you really want to do there is have, um, you can use something called degraded functionality, which is you know, using circuit breakers to kind of section different services off from each other and you just get like a fast fail. Be like, that service is down. What would you like to do? And you can make a decision about what you do. Like, instead of having the button that says book a conference room now, you just change that to be like um, a button. You know, it, it could just say, sorry, that service is down right now. Email your building manager to book a conference room. And it's just got a little link that sends them an email instead, you know, and then there's, it doesn't matter that that thing's down. Um, but the choice you make about what to do if a service is down can be less secure you know like it can you, you have to do something intelligent if that 2fa system is gone then maybe you make a manual process like you start putting uh, a moderation queue in there and you have to start just clicking yes or no as fast as you can and then there's a chance for human error but you can't just auto approve everyone straight away um so yeah there's just so many so many mistakes in that one pile of thing yeah, I mean, like having the Twilio two-factor go down, it's kind of like saying like the lock on your front door is broken and 
instead of just having swing wide open and anyone walk through, you, you have a guard dog or a chair, you know, something. To, <laughs> yeah, to get a bounce there temporarily, right? Yeah. It's not ideal, yeah, but get, it's better than just saying, everyone, come on in, let's have a party. <laughs> exactly. But, in, like, I think it's it's kind of like what uh, we, you know, just said a minute ago. Like, it, it's super easy to go online and find a, uh, a Twilio clone um uh, example to follow like I think Redis has one on their website like how to build a Twilio uh, or a Twitter clone with PHP and Redis for, in like 20 minutes and so it's super easy to do that kind of stuff but then when you think about best practices it always seems like best practices are a, a afterthought because they're never presented in a way that like people can digest them and put them to good use almost immediately something like having all of their images stripped of exit data and not um, auto-incremented through the URL, but instead using something like a, a UUID where you can't just increase one number and keep the loop going, things like that. Yeah, yeah I mean, I think, I think oh, there's an interesting point to be made here too about understanding the context of the software you're building. Uh, like best, best practices is an interesting discussion there too, but I think when when you're deciding how important your thing is going to be you need to figure out what these trade-offs look like right like if i'm building a gif generator for for reddit uh it's probably nowhere near as important to have really really robust fallbacks for two-factor authentication and all these other things uh but when you're building a nonsense social network for fascists to try and overthrow governments it's really important to have security uh, and, uh, you know, not having full on concerns for that is, is going to uh, bite you. Uh, and certainly there are people who are much, much smarter than me, uh, when it comes to highlighting those, those flaws and those flaws really come to light very quickly. And that's what we're seeing here. Mm. Another interesting thing. I'm not sure if, um, it's early over there in, in America, right? Uh, I don't know if you've read the news yet, but Parler is now hosting all of its DNS on Russian servers. So I'm sure there are no more security concerns left. Ooh, yeah, I, I, wow. saw I saw that come out yesterday, late yesterday, and I was just like, yeah, shocker, big surprise. I mean, yeah. but I think like Parler is a great example of what probably started as a weekend project and kind of became the side project unicorn that we all kind of hope to have. And instead of putting in the best practices, they were racing to patch all the other mistakes that they made in order to make it semi-usable for overthrowing the government. Yeah, Matt, Matt, I'm going to be completely clear here just because that was a slightly ambiguous statement. None of the three of us want to make a parlor. It would no. be great if any of us made a, a unicorn app for sure. Uh, I, th I think it's pretty, pretty transparently clear that we're all on the side of parlor and the people who support it is hot flaming garbage. I, I'd say so. Yeah, I'd love to make I'd love to make parlor, but for people that want to unfuck the climate, that would be nice. Just like a Twitter for people where you can talk about climate action without someone going. Well, actually, I think the I think humans aren't really involved, and the Earth is flat. So <laughs> it'd be nice if we had our own little our own little social media away from those people. But yes, I, 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 don't I almost feel like um, parlor four is about to become the the newest. Um... <laughs> newest uh adverb or whatever it is for side projects the parlor but for climate change the parlor <laughs> but for cycling the parlor but for uh yeah the uber of toothbrushes coffee. yeah the, the uber <laughs> so i mean like they had they had like what 70 terabytes of data or something like that um, something like that i mean what 
if, if there's one lesson that you want people to take away from parlor and their terrible bad practices, what would it be? Um, for, there's, there's a few, but generally speaking, you don't want to have your entire database publicly accessible, <laughs> even if it's tweets, right? Like even if it's something like tweets, which are things people are saying in public, having that entire API be um, unrate limited and unauthenticated. And I don't think you even necessarily need tokens. And I think the only tokens they had were hard coded into the app um, so that anyone could decompile it and get those tokens back. That's kind of four things. <laughs> <laughs> but just generally like be a little bit paranoid about your about your API design and what you're exposing. And this is one of those reasons why I'm always just saying like your database is not your API. Um, someone put it, it much more eloquently than that. Like your data model is not your surf uh, service model is not your whatever. But don't just take everything in your API and smush it out to the front end. Hope no one notices and no one ever gets your tokens and does anything bad because someone will. Um, and, and just be a bit paranoid about how you design your API and, and what data you're exposing to who and, and how easy it is to get that data, you know? Yeah, I think there's something to be said too for the pattern that we're seeing of services and uh, apps that get out into the world that are like way more brazen with the terms of service that, of the third party tools that they sit on top of than they should be uh, that, that sort of eventually explode in this monumentally uh, news breaking way like Parler has and like other things have in the past, right? Like things that come to mind for me are um, all of the P2P sharing services like Napster that went down, you know, in, in, in flames in the early 2000s. Um, and I'm sure there's countless examples since then. Uh, I, I think I think it's interesting to me to think about the um, timeline of these things coming to um, popularity and then sort of seeing the reasonable backlash from, um, you know, consumers and from the people that, that run the services and then everything going down in flames and making it much harder for the next guy. Thankfully, maybe that's how the system should be working. Uh, but it's, it also probably highlights like exploits that uh, lots of other services are showing and I would bet that there are probably dozens and dozens if not hundreds of uh, architects out there right now as we speak trying to undo the exact mistakes that Parler highlighted <laughs> on their service for, for you know, everything around the world yeah yeah I am um, yeah, yeah, I'm oh, sorry go okay. ahead. I was just gonna say like I bet you there's tickets being opened all over the world at different companies of like we need to handle Twilio kicking us off the platform. Not to say that Twilio is going to kick you off the platform, but what if Twilio just fell into a black hole tomorrow or something like that? And how, you, how are you going to handle your two-factor authentication or the more popular um, doing the, the login link through text message instead of having a password kind of thing that I know is pretty popular. So I'm sure you're seeing a lot of developers writing a lot of code uh, these next few weeks handling what if this incredibly rare scenario actually does happen. Yeah, no doubt. I think, I was, I think it's also an, another case for paying attention to the news, right? Like um, building and understanding the failures of, of Parler has nothing to do with the three of our work directly, but understanding the lessons learned from the nightmarish mistakes that they made can be helpful to all of us and all the things that we build and work on. When you said that, I immediately went to my um, my blog and looked at the Netlify analytics, and I have noticed a jump in the articles, um, auto-incrementing IDs, giving your data away. And 
HTTP REST API file uploads. So <laughs> that's um, there are people out there currently wondering how to do those two things securely, apparently. Um, we'll make sure we link to those in the show notes so that way more people can get access. And we'll tweet them out too. Because I mean, like, like I said, um, had I never stumbled on that article years and years and years ago, I wouldn't have thought anything bad about just doing API slash image slash one, two, three, all the way up. Like it, it right. seems like such a no brainer thing now, but back then, like it's such an easy thing to miss. Yeah. I think it's probably worth just spending a moment on some of preempting some of the yeah buts um, for, for that. Cause with the auto implementing stuff, every time I bring it up, there's a lot of people that say, yeah, but, um, and they say things like if it's a, if it's publicly available information and will end up on a website anyway, then theoretically it doesn't matter, but it's about levels of how easy you're, you're making it for people to grab your data. So um, if you have a, if you have a, a collection like, images slash one, two, three, whatever. Uh, and obviously people can guess slash one, slash two, slash three. That's very easy for them to get. That's the easiest possible thing. If you change it to images slash random file name or you know UUID or, or something that's not guessable or much harder to guess, they have to waste a lot of time guessing those URLs and they won't find all of them. And if you do have somebody who's like consistently, you, you, can, you can easily kind of monitor for that and you can kind of just basic rate limiting. You've made too many requests trying to find images that may or may not exist. Um, but you can also kind of get a bit smarter and, and write stuff that, that notices the fact that people are making lots and lots and lots of requests and some of them don't notice and automatically reject that token, right? There's things you can do like that to kind of automate it. But people will say, well, if, 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 if it's publicly available, they could just go through the collection, but, but just don't have slash images if you don't have that that root collection where they could go through everything, then they can't go through everything. Um, and so examples of this were like, if you have a, a map-based app, right? And you have um, locations and to get locations, you have to do locations near you. So you have to provide it with coordinates and then you get all of the locations near those coordinates, right? That is a much bigger pain in the backside to scrape all that data because you have to go through and say, I'm going to put a pin in the map here and I'm going to put a pin in the map here. And you can notice if somebody is um, has scripted something that is consistently trying to get locations from here and then 50 meters to the right and then 50 meters to the right or a mile to the right and a mile. And you can notice that they're doing that automated stuff. So um, basically, yeah, if you make it hard to guess the URL and you take away the collection, and you know, authenticate anything that should be authenticated, then you can really slow down people that do this and give yourself an opportunity to flag them up with, with automated stuff. Um, but it, at the very least, it's not limited purely by how fast their internet connection is and the capacity of the server, because that is not great. So I'm, I'm interested to hear another angle on this from you two fellows. What's your take on um, third-party providers and their stances on matters like this? What do you think that the Twilio's of the world can do better, the uh, database hosters of the world? What, what are things that you'd like to see um, improved about processes for uh, making sure things like this don't happen perhaps, or um, making sure that services that are uh, actively trying to gut the world uh, are, are not able to operate? I mean, I'll say unequivocally, first off, like 
like my favorite saying for the past like three weeks has been well 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 it's the consequences of my own actions coming back to haunt me and it's <laughs> like when you sign up for a service whether it's twilio aws apple um zwift for uh, is a service i've been using a lot lately for um cycling indoors because it's still the weather is still not great for outdoor riding right now when you sign up for these services you're agreeing to abide by a certain set of rules, a code of conduct, if you will. Um, even though I know my community, the PhD community has a massive um, aversion to code of conducts. You don't get to just um, flout the rules and then claim that your speech has been violated when those rules come back to haunt you. Um, the first amendment in America protects you of freedom for speech from the government. You can say whatever you want to to the government, they can't do anything about it within reason. Twitter can do whatever they want to. Um, I don't really know, and, and maybe you guys have better opinions, I don't know. I don't really know what they could have done better. They did the best that they could in a very tense and tricky situation because obviously legal is gonna get very much involved. Um, Mm. I, I think if anything, hi, like, you know, there's a running joke of like the, the terms of service being so long that no one ever reads them. You just click accept and move on. And I think at one point Apple had it in their terms of service. You will not use this device for a, to build a nuclear bomb. Um, <laughs> and, and there's other ones, you know, like people slip in, like, if you read this, uh, if you're reading this email us for a $500 prize, because you read the terms of service, I think anything that is anything that like parlor violated, i.e. death threats, violence, um, so, um, fomenting insurrection, move those to the top or its own almost separate section of the terms of service. It's highlighted and says, you like read this, agree to it. We have it on record. You agree to it. Um, so it is crystal clear if and if you're going to get kicked off their system, they have proof that like you agree to these terms of service explicitly. Yeah, I think the biggest problem is they spent four or five years not doing anything whatsoever. And so eventually went, all right, fine, we'll block the guy we should have blocked five years ago. And <laughs> or four years ago or three years ago when he tried to start a nuclear war with uh, North Korea by comparing dick sizes. There's a lot of things they could have done a lot sooner. And, you know, with, with lack of time machine, fine, banning him now, fair enough. Um, and, and banning Parler now, you know, fair enough. The, these companies have now started to realize that in, it's not just some sort of theoretical potential concern. It's not if you let right-wing people plot assassinations, murders, and abductions of, you know, politicians on your platform, then, like, maybe they'll do it. Because that <laughs> there was always the um, argument of like, well, they're just talking about it. They've not really tried it yet. But now we've had lots of attempts of people actually trying this stuff. Um, it's much easier for these companies to say, oh, yeah, better not get involved with that. Um, so I think they just need to be a bit quicker to do it. You know, you can you can plan an insurrection on our on our service. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> just a yeah. little clippy in the corner hey it looks like you're trying to plan an insurrection <laughs> <laughs> would you like some help getting off our platform um yeah i i might be getting a little too heady at this point but i think there's a deeper philosophical discussion to be had around why this is a failing of 
uh, a sort of older capitalist and free market ideals, right? Like if, if it's a newspaper posting um, ideas from a crazy person uh, over and over that are proving more dangerous, inevitably they're going to lose subscribers directly and people will stop paying for the newspaper and they'll stop publishing the newspaper. But, you know, Twitter is essentially the equivalent of that newspaper being provided for free to 80 million followers of, of uh, Donald Trump. And, and uh, that is something that you don't have direct control over when you unsubscribe. Uh, you're not taking away money from Twitter. You are uh, simply a acquired a voice in that horde. And like things like putting pressure on advertisers and whatnot only works to a, a, a much lesser extent uh, than it used to. And maybe there's a case for for uh, having a little bit more citizen involvement in moderation of things like this than just leaving it in yeah. the hands of the company. For sure. Yeah. The um, in the UK we have something called Ofcom. Um, which is about to get mm. completely gutted and replaced with some, you know, tabloid asshole, which kind of is going to invalidate it. It's kind of the equivalent of having the EPA be run by someone who's super into oil, you know. Um, but basically, <laughs> Ofcom used used to be um, a, a quasi-independent um, kind of watchdog. And so, if any of the news channels just post lies, like outright lies, they they get screamed at and they have to do like an apology kind of thing, um, which is why the the news in the UK has generally been like a bit more trustworthy. It's it's generally it has got worse over time, and it and it we often have in, incredibly slanted and biased stuff. You know, there are newspaper like tabloids out there that will just do the most ridiculous headlines, like you know, um, immigrants give you cancer or whatever, just nonsense. Like Elvis is still alive level stuff, but like Jeez. the big the big newspapers um, and the big uh, stations generally don't post absolute nonsense, but you know, we don't, we don't really have a Fox. Um, and so I think something along those lines is what is what's going to need to happen. Cause Facebook has set up these kind of moderation panels, right. Where there's these various different people involved. A lot of them are annoyingly super into oil and, and very right wing. So you have these, these groups basically saying we have to, disallow any conversation about you know climate change you can't promote any any posts about um about trying to raise money or, or change policies around climate change because that's political but you can absolutely have a, an advert that says like um bp has gone completely green and we are saving the planet and even though we're investing one percent of our money in green 99 percent in killing the planet like that's okay because they're advertising a product which is oil but you can't advertise saying like don't use as much oil because we'll all die because that that's politics um so I, I think there's a lot of kind of one-sided stuff left that could be given to an independent moderation panel that you know and then it's not on twitter and facebook and everything else it's this kind of independent group and sure who's watching the watches or whatever but i think just improvements need to be made there on like hey you can't post lies about covid hey you can't post lies about 5g hey you can't post lies about this um because people will die <laughs> Yeah, um, we've seen that for sure. Yeah. Anyway. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think one, we've spun off a bit. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it is an important topic to talk about, though. I mean, it, at least for two out of the three of us, I mean, this we literally watched a history chap, a history book chapter get written um, a couple weeks ago, and it, at least for me, like, I've, I don't know, I've struggled to have people to talk about it because you know, politics are so divisive these days that like even just talking about which should seem like a benign topic to talk about it's been so hard but like like phil said i think you know like at some point we're gonna have to have a conversation of who watches the watchers with like facebook and twitter and 
all that kind of stuff. And I think you might end up seeing more people spinning up apps and APIs to kind of create better communities um, across the world. Um, but so, because Phil has a hard stop here, let's let's bring it back to something else we like to talk about, with it, which is um, what is something we are doing to kind of help lessen our impact on the climate? You know, we like to kind of end with this because it's, while it's, you know, doom and gloom, it is kind of hopeful because we are trying to put our best foot forward. Um, and I can start because something that I forgot to mention last year that I think is kind of interesting is that even though I live in an apartment, we're composting um, because Nashville has a service that will drive around and pick up compost. And so like um, I've noticed our, the amount of things that we're throwing away has grossly dropped. Um, and it also, yeah, I, I thought it was going to smell really bad, just like food scraps and things like that, but it's actually really not that bad. Um, and I'm, I'm pretty pleasantly happy with, signing up for that service, even though we live in an apartment. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Food waste is really important. It's, um, you know, not just taking up space in landfills and, and landfills obviously are terrible in a lot of different ways, but um, yeah, when, when food gets into the landfill, it, it turns into, or it rots and turns into methane, um, which is, you know, even more devastating for the planet on the short term than, than CO2 is. So anything you can do like buy less in the first place. So there's less waste, eat more of it even if you feel a bit <laughs> feel a bit full give it to give it to a dog anything just like anything you can do to avoid putting food waste in the landfill is great so yeah if uh, if you haven't got a local collection i was looking at alternatives and there's um worm uh worm bins you can get these little things that you can just put out on like your balcony or whatever in an apartment building and you just shove food in there and then worms eat it and then you have soil and you have like compost that you can give to your neighbor who might have a garden or something but uh that's great matt <laughs> yeah super interesting i um I, along those lines phil i've been doing a bit more gardening this year uh, and certainly i'm, I'm not a you know a, a primo gardener yet but um <laughs> as as in charlotte at least as december and january roll around it starts to get reasonably colder here compared to the rest of the year so uh, it's been interesting to figure out what things we need to move indoors to continue to grow safely and all that. Uh, and I will say that one, one thing I have an actual limitless supply of is herbs. Uh, so if anyone in the world needs basil or sage or parsley or any of those <laughs> things, uh, I can make you a, a care package of herbs to send out. Uh, but I'm, I'm interested to see this year definitely how, how um, making edible food at home uh, for myself picks up a bit. Um, we've got a number of things planted that I think will be really cool to see. Uh, and yeah, I feel like you, yeah. could, you could start uh, herbs as a service API. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> I, I actually uh, planted a big bush in front of my house of uh, basil and mint uh, that we have a little sign tacked on front of it that says like, hey, take some if you need it because we don't need all of it. And there's loads of people that walk by my place all the time. Mm, that's awesome. Um, I have seen a few people uh, in California typically um, who are doing like a public fridge. So it's like, come and grab whatever you want out of it and um, put mm. whatever you want in it sort of thing. And then like homeless people or your neighbors can, can get stuff. Um, and so, yeah, one of those with like a, an online API could be interesting. So you can like look and see what's available nearby. And like, oh, I run out of milk. Oh, there's some down the road. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Need for sure. Herbs. Oh, Jesus, Mike's got loads. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm but, getting uh, tired of pesto at every meal. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> 
speaking of APIs, I actually am combining my favorite things, which is um, uh, we're planting a bunch of trees at uh, protect Earth, protect.earth is the website. Um, we're only on 100 so far because we started this winter and paperwork is an absolute nightmare. Um, but we're planting 500 more trees this weekend. And in order to keep track of them all, we have made like a, a really basic tree tracker. Um, it's just a, an Airtable with, uh, which automatically creates an API, right? I quite like Airtable for the fact that it automatically has an API because don't have time to build anything. I'm <laughs> busy planting trees. Um, or trying to find money for trees or trying to find land to put the trees in or <laughs> trying to get permission to plant the trees. Uh, but we've got the Airtable and we're just going to upload um, coordinates, species, who planted it and um, a photograph of it. Um, and this little API, because we were originally kind of doing it directly and we're out in the field taking these giant photographs on, on the iPhone, which is like 11 megabytes big, trying to upload it all over like edge <laughs> and like losing some because they just get lost. So we've got this basic iOS app that will take, um, take a bunch of photographs, leave them all offline. And then you just hit like sync when you get back to some internet. And um, yeah, then we'll be able to give people like a map page of every tree that we've got and go back and, and take photographs to update their progress and mark off like whether a squirrel ate them or whatever um, so that we can we can come up with the survival uh, rate and um, advertise that as well because a lot of tree tree planting charities are like we planted a hundred thousand and like they all died <laughs> but they don't mention how many of them lived or whatever so um, yeah I'm quite excited to combine tech and climate again yeah, I was really enjoying your drone footage that I saw the other day. I think you posted it on Twitter. Oh, yeah. Uh, very, very cool to see that stuff. Like, I think you posted a picture of a, a tree whose um, support had toppled over. Uh, oh, yeah. You were able to, to see it. That was pretty cool. Yeah, exactly. These, um, the, the, the farm that those trees were planted on, the first hundred, were kind of spread around tactically because they're oaks and they're huge, right? They're, they'll grow really big. So we really spread them around the farm. And um, that farm's 460 acres. <laughs> And there's a lot of hills and it's, it can be really hard to go and check on all of them, but I can just kind of sit there with my morning coffee, send the drone out, whip around, have a look um, and see if any of them fell over. So that's, that's really fun. And yeah, I want to use the drone. I've got a DJI Mavic mini one. I bought it and then like two came out obviously. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I'm probably going to end up getting a, a bigger, uh, bigger drone with more range that I can put on predetermined routes. So I think it'd be amazing for all of these different sites where reforesting, pick a route that will show the trees we planted and then send it around every year or every, every season if we can. And you can just show, you can see the change in those trees over time on the exact same route. So you can easily fade in and out between, between those different videos and different seasons and see for sure that those trees are growing instead of like, I'm giving these people money. I hope they're planting trees that you get with most charities, you know? Definitely. Yeah, no, Definitely. I, I think that'd be really cool. Yeah. And I mean, like, if you make like a time lapse, you know, at the end of the year, if like you send it out once a week or whatever, it, right. it'd be really cool to see the kind of like how honestly how nature works. Because so many of us live in cities and we're so removed from, you know, these types of things that we just heard about in biology class. So it's kind of cool to be able to show that to people. Yeah. The only sad thing is that so many trees, like trees aren't quick at growing. You know, I mean, these things are some of them are kind of um, 50 centimeters. Some of them are a meter and a half. Um, and that's like a year or two's worth of growth already. So in, in 10 years, you know, hopefully most of them will be taller than me, but <laughs> some of them are really slow. So it, it's not going to be the most exciting video. And it's going to be the first time I've worked on a project where I have to like wait a decade to have it done, you know? 
Uh, I'm a bit more used to, I've got an idea for a blog post. Smash, 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 smash. There it is. Instant gratification. Someone liked it on the internet, you know? <laughs> so it's really hard to think about a, a five to 10 year project before it's, before it's out, but that's what we need. It's, that's very true. And I mean, like, I know I've said it before, but I'm, I really admire the effort that you're going to. Um, it is something to really look up to. Thanks, man. Cool. Awesome. So um, we're going to try and do better about this in the coming year. We kind of fell off with uh, events happening last year. So we're going to try and aim for about a month, uh, once a month release or so of an episode. So we're going to get this one. You should actually, I'm going to edit it this morning instead of waiting and hiding from the world. Um, so you should have this in your feed. <laughs> Hopefully soon. Actually, you'll be hearing it when it is in your feed. And then look for us again in a month. Until then, you can catch us on Twitter at, at APIs You Won't Hate. Um, I think you know where we all live on Twitter, so we don't need to keep banging on about that one. But if you have questions, you can hit us up in the Slack channel, APIs You Won't Hate, um, on Twitter or anywhere else you can find us. Um, so, Mike, Phil, thanks for hanging out today. We will catch you next month. See you, folks. You got it, Matt. See you soon. You just did a British banging on about. <laughs> that was great. I loved it. <laughs> well, you know what? Like, I hang out with you enough.